0: Welcome to Invisibly Unwell, the podcast shedding light on the invisible issues that many high achieving women struggle with in the shadows. I'm your host, Paige Lavelle. I'm an MBA educated professional woman with 16 years of experience working for multiple Fortune 100 and 500 companies. I worked very hard to get to where I am professionally and academically, but there's a side of me that very few of my colleagues, mentors, or business acquaintances are even aware of. I am also an autoimmune warrior, eating disorder survivor, author, and now podcast host. This podcast is for women out there struggling with perfectionism, people-pleasing, disordered eating, and autoimmunity to name a few. Issues that are completely invisible to the world around us, therefore presenting their own challenges. My hope is that someone listening to myself or to the many guests I will have sharing their knowledge and experience realizes that they are not alone. A quick disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. Today's guest is the wonderful Anessa Powell. She was diagnosed in 2013 with Addison's disease, a very rare autoimmune disease, and she has since been dedicated to raising awareness. Anessa began sharing her experience in 2016 and launched her social media outreach through the former pages of Addison's disease with Grace. I had the honor of meeting Anessa this past December of 2022 at an Emerging Leaders in Rare Autoimmune Disease workshop, and I was blown away by her vulnerability and the fact that she turned her passion into purpose. Anessa is now the founder and CEO of All Ability Recruiting, a recruitment firm specializing in connecting the disability community with meaningful employers, and they also offer disability training and consulting for entire organizations. Welcome, Anessa Powell, to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited, Paige.
0: Great. Well, I'd love to start off by just having you share your story. What what your first experience was in the chronic illness space and a little
1: bit about your journey what got you here today. Obviously, you don't need to dive deep, but I would just love to hear kind of a, a high level. Sure. Well, it's been quite a journey, as I think most of us are when you're in the autoimmune world. So after the birth of my daughter, my thyroid decided to go out, as they say, or you know, was attacked for autoimmune reasons. So I had was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. And you know, it's like, okay, that's not too surprising. Here I am in a family where all the women in my family, both sides, actually, my dad's side and my mom's side that had thyroid issues. It's like, okay, here we go. This is just what I thought was going to be coming down the pike for me. Then after the birth of my son, that's when my health decided to really go wonky. And it was really a long road to diagnosis. So my son was born in 2008. It was a Not a great birth in a sense that it was just – it took me a while to bounce back after he was born, much worse so than when my daughter was born. And um, I didn't – I thought, well, maybe I'm just older and I don't know what's happening, but it just definitely took a while. Excuse me. And then – You know, it was a myriad of random symptoms that, you know, were leading over the years as a very slow progression of what we didn't know at the time is that my adrenal glands were going out. And all of these symptoms separately can mean a thousand different things. But once you put them together, they finally figured it out. But my symptoms became seriously worse between 2010 and 2012, where I just could not fight any infection so like for instance the kids were preschool age at the time they would come home they bring a lovely cold home where it would take them a few days to a week to get over it would take me weeks or even a month one summer of 2012 I had pneumonia and it took me over four months to get over it and we just couldn't understand why I couldn't kick it and it was just between that and then I was starting to get this hyperpigmentation I was getting very very tan and it was like okay well I'm getting older I'm getting I'm getting I'm getting tanner how cool is this but it was not like it was a red flag but it was just very odd but I loved it because who doesn't love to have a nice glow and then you know I would start having just these all of these horrible stomach pains Went to every doctor you can imagine to understand what was really happening. They found nothing. Ultimately, I ended up having sinus surgery. I had another thing. I couldn't get over chronic sinus infections. Ended up having sinus surgery. It was the best decision I ever made because 10 days later, that's when my body decided to go into crisis. It's known as an Addison's or primary adrenal insufficiency crisis. Wound up in the hospital. Very, very sick took them over 11 days of me being hospitalized essentially my body was shutting down and they didn't know why and presented with almost my sodium level was at a 106 so if you're familiar with sodium levels are supposed to be above about 135 I was at 106 and the doctor said to my family at the time we don't know why she's not in a coma right now honestly this is this is this is coma level and I I think it was just sheer determination to get in the hospital and just get diagnosed, honestly. Uh, But anyway, eventually they diagnosed me with that. And I was so thankful to have a name for all of these symptoms that I had been feeling for so many years. A validation from many, many times. I had been told that my symptoms were due to being a mom and being a woman. And that's a whole other podcast page where we can talk about that, yeah.
0: but oh, we can totally uh, talk a little bit about that because that's a huge part of my story too. Well, <laughs> minus I'm not a mother, but yes, I've definitely been told that. Um, are you stressed? Like, is your yep. cycle normal? All those really fun medical all gaslighting. All those,
1: <laughs> all those things. You know, they were they were babies at the time, as I like to say. They were four and one, and then five. No, I'm making that up. When I was finally diagnosed, my son was four, my daughter was seven. But but leading up to that, all of those years, I was ultimately told, "Oh, you're a stay at home. I was a stay at home mom at the time. You're distressed. You, you you know, you just have a lot going on. You just, you know, you need to uh, just prioritize your health and and taking care of yourself." And I'm like, "Wait a minute that that I'm having severe stomach abdominal pain, and you're telling me that I'm just stressed, and this is what's happening." And you know, it'd be different if. If I had had anything leading up to that or that's how my stress had manifested in, in previous years, but never, I'd never had stomach issues in the past. So flash forward to 2013 is when I was diagnosed of January and being able to say, okay, yes, I have validation. This is what's happening. Now you're diagnosed with something rare, a rare autoimmune condition. It's also, okay, holy moly, what do I do now? because your life is forever changed. And with Addison's disease, you have to take medicine, which is a steroid, to live. And if you don't take it, it ends very badly and painful for you. So now you have this whole new life of, okay, you have medicine that you have to take to live. What does that look like for you? And I quickly learned after being diagnosed that when you are diagnosed with something rare, you are going to be the only person that knows about it, even when talking about with, with medical professionals. So what does that look like? So my life was forever changed upon diagnosis in so many ways. It completely changed the trajectory of my life and professionally, but also personally, too, and what that looked like for me going forward.
0: No, that's... Very interesting to hear. I know my own experience, the validation of being told that there is a medical diagnosis behind all these symptoms after for years being told, you know, you need better stress management, you need better yes. this, you need better that. <laughs> now, as a recovering perfectionist, I was totally overloading my plate. So I, I, I will acknowledge that there was a stress factor that was very much self-inflicted, but I also know the difference between I'm tired, exhausted, can't concentrate, and my hair is falling out in chunks and I am working out like crazy, and my weight is not moving. Um, just stuff that I'm like, this is very physical. This is not a, a connection between my stress level and, and this. Um, I'm very much a big believer in the mind-body connection. I know that stress plays a huge role in my health, but it's something that it's just very frustrating when you're feeling like you know something's wrong, and you're going to the expert that's supposed to help validate that and tell you what you can do to fix it. And when they are questioning whether what you are saying is, quote, in your head, it's just a very 100%. difficult process to go through. Um, and I do. I, I, I do think partially the fact that 75 to 80 percent of autoimmune patients are women. That's not unrelated Agreed. So that being the general demeanor that that we receive when we go to seek care for those things or go to seek diagnosis. So well, I and with
1: uh, autoimmune diseases taking the average the average 3 years to get a diagnosis what does that tell you? That yeah. to me just shows that the lack of knowledge and just the questioning in which people have to fight and they shouldn't have to fight to get a diagnosis and for me it was very difficult because with Addison's, it's not something people check for. It's not common. And it's one symptom, like I said, can mean this. And then another symptom could mean this. And you have all of these things that are, are screaming at yourself. And you're saying, I know something is wrong. I didn't just make this up overnight that for the first time in my life, I'm having a panic attack, which I've never had those before. Uh, for the first time in my life, I am dealing with Chronic stomach issues. Uh, for the first time in my life, I will be honest. I lost weight and was very, very thin. And let me tell you, I that's not something that you could describe Anessa growing up. That <laughs> I was always battling with my weight. So, what is happening to your body? And just to have that opportunity to feel validated after such a long time, I can't tell you how amazing that was. And I and I feel so sorry for other women who have are still fighting to get answers.
0: No, completely. It's it's just a very difficult place to be in. And I know one thing um, I've discussed with other guests and something I've discussed with friends and colleagues who have dealt with this, you become the project manager of your own care. You have to. You have to become your own advocate. So when you were mentioning that when you find out you have a rare illness, you know the most about it. I feel like a huge gap out there. We hear so much about cancer and people are given all this information. Now, to be fair, there are rare types of cancer you might not know as much about, but you have this natural empathy or at least sympathy from people um, trying to seeking to understand, seeking to help. And when you have an autoimmune disease, there's so little awareness out there. Most people can name someone they know um, or related in many cases to someone. They might have someone in their family with lupus or they might know someone with type 1 diabetes. A lot of times people don't recall that that is an autoimmune disease, but it is. Um, or they might, you know, oh, so-and-so has MS because I hear that more and more. But there's a very little, they might know someone who has it, but there's a severe lack of knowledge. And I don't blame, it took me a long time. I was a little bitter because I was first, I was diagnosed with my first autoimmune disease when I was 12. And then my second at 24, um, my, actually, sorry, my second at 21 or 22, and then my third at 24. So I was aware that it was out there and I researched it and I was first diagnosed with scleroderma, which is quite rare. That said, you're, I would have to go into doctor's offices if it was a primary care physician and explain my condition. Every time. Every single time. Every time. And it's, I get it. They're not, that's not their specialty. Their specialty is internal medicine. So I I understand, um, I'm not someone who's naive and thinks every physician should know everything, but it becomes difficult when you're especially when you're young or when you're dealing with a lot of competing priorities. In your case, you had two young kids um, and you're trying to balance having to keep all that knowledge and keep someone up to date. And I do recall there were times I would get a little concerned because it would be in my health. It would be my, I guess now we all have electronic health records, but at the time it was in my physical chart in the nineties, early two thousands. And I would have to explain, like I would be sick and I'd go and they'd be like, oh, you don't have a fever. It's just 99. And I'm like, my basal temperature is 96.2. I absolutely have a fever. And so having, it took trial and error for me to have to learn, like, I need to remember these things because I fall outside of the the barriers that are considered, quote unquote, normal. And so I need to be aware of all these little nuances with my healthcare and how I need to be treated and what I need to bring to the table in these discussions with physicians that the average person might not even think for the, I mean, that's great that they don't have to, but the average person wouldn't have to think about. So I think there's a bit of a struggle out there for patients because you are expected. Um, I wouldn't say expected, but you learn very quickly that very if you there you have to have all of your ducks in a row and you need to know what to share and what questions to ask. And that's a lot to put on someone if it's a new diagnosis and they've been waiting three, four years. There is a relief with the diagnosis because you're like, it's tangible. This is no longer something that is causing me emotional and mental distress in the sense that I don't know what is going on. Um, it, there's a whole different level of distress with diagnosis, but there is a sense of relief. But then I think the real journey and the real battle honestly begins to really be the advocate for your own healthcare. Well,
1: and and just to continue and piggyback on that, for people with, with adrenal insufficiency, that is our biggest, and this is what I see most and hear most. I was at a conference in, at the end of March, 1st of April. When we get sick and we have to go to the emergency room, I cannot tell you the level of frustration it is to walk into an emergency room and you need life-saving medication, and we're talking within minutes. We're not talking within hours. So say, for instance, if I get a stomach bug or I you know, eat the wrong time of food and I can't keep anything down, we immediately have to go to the emergency room in order to get a vial of selucortef is what it's called, which basically means it's a steroid that's given to us intravenously through IV fluids. We need it immediately. If not, we will go into crisis and it will ultimately lead to death. So you're talking about people who present and you say to them, I need this. And you are, you are met with just utter confusion. And this happens every day. So I have a medical form that I have that I keep with me at all times just explicitly describing what needs to happen. This is what, how many steroids medicine I take. This is what needs to go into my IV. It needs to be given to me... Per- at this particular amount. I'm not a medical professional, obviously, but this is what needs to be happening to me. It's all written down for them. My husband has a copy of it. He knows if, because also what happens oftentimes when we are presenting this way, we're not able to formulate words and we're not able to speak. And so I can't convey properly what I'm trying, what needs to happen. My children know, my children know that there's an emergency injection kit that needs to happen. When I am traveling with people that are not my family or my close friends, I tell them if something happens to me, this is what this is what I need to have. I first need to have my emergency injection, and then I need to go to immediately to the hospital. I see every single day from hundreds and even thousands of people that go into an ER, and they look at them like, I don't even know what you're talking about. They look at us like we're drug addicts, like we are asking for a narcotic. No, I'm asking for a steroid, a steroid. Just put it in our IV and let's get on. And let me tell you what's going to happen after you give it to me. Then I'm going to be able to convey to you what needs to happen from here on out. Then I'll be able to formulate my words. And it is very hard when you have medical professionals whom are taught something for 10 minutes in their entire medical practice, right? They learn about adrenal insufficiency for 10 minutes and it's done. And then you've got hundreds of thousands of people out there that are living with this and they come in and you're being told that it's all in your head or you're looking for drugs. It, you know, I can, once again, this is another tangent that I could go on just to reiterate your point, but it can yeah. be very no, challenging.
0: Tangents are, are welcome. I Part of the reason I started the podcast was first and foremost, I want other people out there that I know are struggling with this and they think yeah. they're alone.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. And so I
0: want, I want to provide positive information and, and a- action steps, if you will, that we can take. I don't want it to become a you know, a group page where everyone's just commiserating over exactly. their worst symptoms. Like, I think that can become a very negative spiral. But that said, like, I, I want these people to feel validated. Like, you're not alone if you yes. feel like you're fighting an uphill battle every time you're trying to seek treatment. And especially, I'm, I'm fortunate that I'm not, at least my health condition does not require emergency response like that. Um, but I've had to, so I, that's a whole other level. And I, yeah. I commend you for handling that the way that you do. <laughs> Um, I've had to explain at length when I am not well, um, my background, my health conditions. It's just something that I learned how to do. Um, The most recent time that I had to go to the ED, and I'm, I'm fine, but they had to give me medication that made me a bit loopy, and my husband, thankfully, was there and was able to share with them the medications that I'm on, make sure they had the updated doses for my thyroid meds, and make sure that they knew things like every time if I have to get anesthesia, I get very ill. So to make sure they get some sort of anti-nausea medication, those are things that you you can't expect every emergency room to have that information. I get it. But when you have a chronic illness and you are put in that position where you're just having to manage your care and share all these things and try to get I work in the corporate world, like trying to get buy-in from your care team that you're not lying and that this is valid is very difficult.
1: It's very hard. It's hard when you are not able to verbalize so desperately the help that you need. And that's why having an advocate is so important. But there are people out there that live alone and then they call the 911 and they need emergency help and they can't really convey what's really happening to them. And the only thing you have is an emergency alert bracelet. Well, nine times out of ten, you're dealing with people who don't even have a clue when it says you have adrenal insufficiency. And they're like, huh? What does this mean? And it says give life-saving steroids. And and you're met with such confusion. So it is frustrating when you know your life is in someone's hands that immediately can go south very quickly. And that's, you know, quite honestly, after I was diagnosed and it took me a few years to really wrap my brain about what this meant for me, I was... I started just speaking out on social media because I was absolutely wanting to make sure that others who were in the same boat weren't having to go through all of the challenges that I even went through, but just sharing my story and helping. And if that meant, it may not be a diagnosis of Addison's, but it could be a diagnosis of something else just by giving the clues. Because so oftentimes it's a big puzzle, right? It's just trying to put all of these clues together and so many autoimmune conditions overlap and what can mean this one could also mean that the same thing. I mean fatigue. Hello. How, <laughs> There's so many of us with fatigue. Who and it means you have
0: fatigue and exactly how do you accomplish that. I would love to know. <laughs> exactly.
1: So I mean that's why I started sharing about that and what that looked like. But also just raising awareness, you know I when I meet people and if they find out I have Addison's, their first response usually is, "Oh, my dog had that," or "I know somebody's dog who had that." It's a lot. It's a very common in, in dogs, but it's like okay, it's definitely a serious condition. It's something worth noting. It's also something to share about so people can learn. As you are doing this podcast, it's just trying to raise awareness. That's just I feel like that's what I do in my day to day life with not only my condition with but also with people with disabilities too. It's just vital.
0: Absolutely. That's actually a great segue. And what I wanted to ask you is from a career perspective. So I'm someone who went to school, went to grad school, have worked in corporate America for a very long time (laughs) at this point. uh, I mean, I I feel like I'm I'm mid-career, but it's still, it feels like a very long time. I've been around a bit. Um, So, I know that this has impact my, impacted my career and how I handle work in many different ways. I feel, and I'm curious if you relate or what your story is, I feel that I very much just grinned and bared it for a long time because I was working in, initially I was working in project management and healthcare, and then I switched over to fintech. Uh, very, very male-dominated, very, you get you get your stuff done and you don't, show a chink in the armor or a weakness, or like you are not someone they can look to to rise in the company. And it's something that I kept all of my health issues to myself, whether it was the very physical aspect of it, or the mental toll that it takes to be balancing the care for these issues. Um, and I have a thyroid condition, like if I don't manage my levels properly, I am going to be completely tired, unable to concentrate again with the hair loss, Um, gaining weight, feeling sluggish, and that affects you mentally. It affects your ability to concentrate. It affects your ability to provide good work and to, to show what you're capable of. So I know there was a season in my career where I didn't reveal anything. And then it got to the point where the stress was too much and I wasn't taking care of myself physically. I wasn't, you know, for me, meditating helps and I was completely ignoring or making time for that uh exercise, reasonable exercise. I used to be really into hit workouts. Um and then I would crash.
1: Oh yeah. And that's
0: no. the I couldn't do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, it
0: was such a it really was frustrating for me because yes. it's one of those things like I guess the the crux of what I'm saying is in that career path, I had to learn my limitations. And as someone who's very much a chronic perfectionist, people pleaser, collector of gold stars, Noting limitations is extremely difficult for me, and it's something I continue to work on. So I'd love to hear your story of how you handled this from a career aspect.
1: Well, my my career aspect's been very interesting. So I call it um, many, before children, I should say, uh, before I was diagnosed, I was an event planner. And so I was working for a hotel chain and planning events. And my goodness, I was working mm, 70, 80 hours a week. And that was... Wild in the sense that it, you know, there are no holidays. When you don't, when you work for a place that never closes, you're always working. And, you know, it was interesting, there were clues at that point, even that I look back on now in my health, where I would literally have a conference in and, and I would go hard for the first three or four days. And then I would absolutely crash. And most people didn't do that, they could still keep going. And I just remember looking back on it being like, man, I don't know how I'm always like petering out by the third or fourth day. And then I would have like, at one point, my back went out, but my back was not traditional back Issues. It was lower back pain, which I now know was flank pain from my adrenal glands. They were starting to just kind of, we didn't know at the time, and it's very hard to, it, I thought it was just traditional back pain, but it wasn't. So that, I can look back on that now. And then I became a stay at home mom and had every intention of going back to work full-time after my son went off to kindergarten, but that was when my health went wonky. And so here I had this new diagnosis, and I didn't know what that would mean for me, if I could sustain working many hours a day, being full-time, being in the office, and what that looked like. Well, with my husband's career, we ended up moving to a different state. We're North Carolina now. We moved to Ohio and we were there for a few years. And that's when I was just trying to get my arms around the diagnosis. And that's when I started talking about it. But during that process, it was learning how I was managing my day-to-day of managing me, my household, but also the working aspect of it and what that would look like. And so it really just took me a few years to get my arms around energy levels and being mindful of that and, and health and food, and you name it. We moved back to North Carolina, and that's when I really started to get into patient advocacy and what that looked like for where it would be either working in corporate America or being patient advocate just locally. And so my road has been very twisted, but now I'm at a point where I manage my schedule and I'm very mindful. So I'm doing traveling a lot now for speaking engagements and conferences and training that I do with the company, and I always now have to block out time within my calendar to be very careful what that looks like. So, for instance, in the afternoons, I block out time just to make sure if I need to rest, I can, which I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to do that working from home. I can block it out and do that. If I'm traveling, like, for instance, I went to a conference, like I mentioned, that adrenal conference at the end of March, 1st of April, well, that was in Portland, so that was a time difference, and coming back, I blocked out my calendar the next day, and making sure that I didn't have any in-person meetings or Zoom calls, so if I needed to rest, or if I didn't have to leave the couch, I could take my calls from a phone call, not necessarily a Zoom, you know, just being very mindful of that, I... I have learned, and it's been, and I'm sure all of us feel the same way. You just learn what works and what doesn't work, and you you make a mistake, and you're like, oh, I'm not doing that again. I'm not going hard. I'm not doing a hit workout." Let me tell you, um, you know, and what that looks like, how to manage it, and it's trial and error. That's the big thing. And so now I am am so blessed and fortunate that I can manage my schedule and say, look. I need to have a rest between two and three every day. If you want me to be a normal human being and have a productive work environment and home life, let me have that rest. I'm a big proponent of naps.
0: (laughs) They are wonderful. Yeah, I struggle to take them sometimes, but they are wonderful. Um, So I would love to hear more about your company that you started and what need it addresses. And then I'm totally going to jump in and ask you a bunch of questions about the knowledge you've gained from working in that space, because I think it's wonderful for people to hear.
1: Well, it's... The name of the company is All Ability Recruiting, and we specialize in what I like to say, all things disability employment related. So it was really started out of a need page that was from my diagnosis and hearing others' stories of having laps in their resume for they were being sick. Like for me, I was out of work for several years because if once it was because I was a stay-at-home mom, but then I couldn't get back into it because I was not sure my health was going to sustain it, right? So I was still trying to figure that out. But it doesn't mean I'm not worthy of working. It doesn't mean I don't have something to bring to a business or to a company. So there were many others out there, people who had been diagnosed, people who had been in treatment, people whom aren't your conventional candidate and are getting kicked out of these automated systems when they're applying for jobs because their resume has gaps. So pandemic hit, you know, in 2020. Changed everything for our family. I was really, at that point, interviewing for various jobs for patient advocacy. And then, of course, the pandemic, everything changed. People stopped hiring, and and lots of things changed for our family, too. My husband's job situation changed. And so we were really looking at our next opportunity and what that would look like. We were contemplating buying a franchise of some sort or doing, you, you name it. And then it was very much, as we like to say, a lightning bolt moment. We looked at each other one day, and we were like, you know what? We're working with recruiters. He was working with recruiter and I was actually working with a disability recruiter too. And we were not wowed by our experiences. And we were like, okay, you know what? We can do this. We can start this business, a true firm where we employ and try to find people, jobs who have disabilities of all types, invisible, visible, apparent, non-apparent, whichever way you like to say it. And levels of all types you know there's unfortunately a stigma when you think about employing people with disabilities you I think a lot of times people envision people entry-level jobs or or people that um, you would just see at a coffee shop or or a greeter or some sort. And we're like, no, there are people of all levels, all skill sets and all disabilities wanting to have employment and wanting to be seen for whom they are. So we launched in June of 2021. So we just celebrated our two-year anniversary. And it's been such a great ride. You know, we initially began with the recruitment side of the business, but we quickly learned that businesses, companies want to do the right thing. They just don't often really know where to begin. So we started trading sessions and that's where we have an opportunity to go into HR teams, to hiring managers, to teams of all levels. And really train them on disabilities. You know, we started the simple basics of disability 101. What even is a disability and what does it look like? And one in four people have a disability and you're sitting in a room. Let me assure you, you think you don't know anyone with one? You do. And so just kind of rolling through that and interviewing and understanding accommodations and maintaining accommodations. And then the last piece is that culture and why is it so important. To hire those with disabilities to support your current employees that have it, your customers, and so on, and what that looks like for your bottom line. And then after we do these training sessions, our clients would be like, okay, what do we do next? And we're like, so that's why we have the third arm to our business, and that's consulting, where we can get our arms truly around making sure that every piece of the puzzle is complete and holistic and inclusive to disability, those being interviewing, the application process, to the interviewing, to the onboarding, and then the support after it. So uh, it's been an exciting thing. So much of what I do, Paige, is just education and really just trying to convey and, and get people on board, but why it's important. You know, as I mentioned, one in four people have a disability. It's the largest minority group in the world. And truly when it comes to corporate America, to large businesses itself, medium-sized to large, it's that last piece that when people are looking at their DEI or their hiring practices, it's really the lacking piece when it comes to that. We're probably about 20 years behind in the movement with hiring people of color and women in leadership positions. And I think, and I feel, and I see this all the time now, that companies are starting to take note and be like, oh, wow, okay we have not done this right or we've not really addressed this before and how do we get our arms around this but not only how do we do this but how do you do it correctly especially now in this hot topic of neurodivergent candidates people who are you know neurodivergent which basically means your brain works differently for those that are listening if you've not heard that term before and your brain just works differently than neurotypical you know people who are on the spectrum people who are have ADD, ADHD Those fall under that neurodivergent umbrella, and that seems to be a hot topic, especially in the tech world for corporations. If hiring that, but you have to do it correctly, and so we help businesses make sure that that is done right from the beginning so they don't end up being coming back later and be like, uh, we didn't do this right, we're losing talent. So, um, that was that was a long story, but that's where we are.
0: Um, I think there's a lot, at least in my own experience, there are a lot of companies who put the message out there of inclusivity and open to hiring anyone and they may talk the talk, but it really takes, they need to take it to another level to walk the walk because I feel like it's very easy to put that on your not on your mission statement, but on your company values, yes, and not fully follow through. So I think that that's huge, um, especially not just checking a box for a quota, but actually looking at how, at a corporate level and at a cultural level in the organization, to embrace people um, that are disabled or different, neurodivergent, um, anyone that just wouldn't fit their standard box. So I would love to hear what are some things that you have worked with or heard that our companies are doing to help embrace people with these invisible, I'll say invisible illnesses, because you or I, if someone met us or saw us on the street, would have zero clue that we have any chronic health issues. And I think that that's very common with a lot of autoimmune diseases, especially. Um, I'm curious, like, what's what's some feedback you've gotten from companies or what are some things they're doing to try to embrace people with those issues, since it can sometimes be a blessing and a curse that you have an illness that no one can see?
1: You know, <laughs> that is the million dollar question and it it, it can be very frustrating for some that, that do struggle for one disclosing so let me just put it that way for those that have worked for a company and never disclosed that they have a particular you know chronic illness condition you name it so let me backtrack a little bit so a part of what companies are realizing is that if they do have one in four people that have a disability and they don't know that number. So say, for instance, they have – they're like they know statistics and they see that, but they are not – they don't know who they are. They have – in companies and businesses and corporations, they have um, – a, what do you call it a scorecard um, a survey survey an employee survey right that they do but let me tell you what they're asking they're asking about whom you are your ethnicity your sometimes they'll ask about your your identity and sexual orientation and, and how you identify in that way but they don't ask about people with disabilities they're not asking do you have a disability have you disclosed your disability they don't ask that that's the first piece to finding out in in starting that conversation what's not happening is the conversation is not happening period you get hired you fill out that application that's the only time that you're asked about a disability is when you fill out that application and that's because the laws of the ADA ask you to you can disclose or not disclose most people won't disclose because they're worried about the stigma that comes along with disclosing if they do disclose it could be for several reasons one, it's an apparent disability Obviously, if you're in a wheelchair, you can't say you don't have one. Um, That's just something that's probably pretty common. But, you know, if you also disclose, it could be because you need accommodations. But there are a lot of times people saying, I have mental health uh, challenges and I'm not going to tell that because I'm going to be worried that they're not going to hire me one. Or if they do hire me, they're going to be like, "Uh, okay, we're not going to maybe have her move on to the next level because, you know of the stigma that goes along with it so they're starting to recognize that they're starting to understand okay if we say we had this amount of people working for us and we don't know who we are then we have a culture problem we have a problem and we need to get our arms around what this looks like so are we having these conversations are we doing these training sessions are we really getting into it are we creating an environment where people feel comfortable to share and so oftentimes that's not happening. They're going to talk about the major DEI tick boxes, right? They're going to focus on that. They're going to focus on we support this these particular marginalized, uh, you know, groups, right? But they're not going to really get into the disability, and they're starting to say, okay, we're missing the boat here. So... That's a part of it, too. And then having the culture where if you have disclosed in the past or if you are going to disclose, then you're met with understanding and the wherewithal to take it from there. Not, okay, I don't know what to do with this because this person has disclosed that they have a chronic illness and they need to have XYZ for an accommodation. And they're met with complete and utter questioning and disbelief so having your staff trained accordingly to respond it's a vulnerability factor when someone reveals something to their manager to their team lead to their boss you name it and then they're met with with, you name it (laughs) i've heard all the horror stories within my company of, of what it means when these people have disclosed and uh and it's not been done properly and that's where lawsuits come into place unfortunately so there's a lot to unpack, as I like to say with this, because it's so many layers to it. It's driving the culture, but the culture can't be from top down or from bottom up. It has to be all over and then what it looks like within your company that you talk about it it's not i'm only going to talk about it one month out of the year and that's usually october because it's national disability employment awareness month that's the time when companies come out and they say yay we're committed to this and then they don't talk about it november 1st um and so that's our big push is like it needs to be talked about all year long because people with disabilities don't have it just one month out of the year it's every single day
0: yeah no that's that's very valid. Uh, very good point. I know personally, I've, I've applied for jobs in the last probably five years, that there is a section in the application asking about a disability. That said, it will say a little blurb um, about disabilities in general, and then it will give their legal terminology, essentially saying that we will not um, use this as a discriminatory uh, element of your application, etc., that said, I will be very honest and very forthcoming. I hesitate to click it because there is a list of about 20 different categories of disabilities. And I'll tell you why I hesitate. And it's, it's multi, multiple reasons. So one, I, I can pass. I am someone that can pass as if it's not there. Yep. And so I, again, blessing and a curse, but I know that that gives me a certain amount of privilege that I can not click that and no one would be the wiser. Right. Um, secondary to that, I don't want, there. there's a hesitation and I, I've talked about this with other guests actually, where because I don't have a visible disability, I feel as if I'm taking away um, a spot or an opportunity and this could be a total false reality created in my head, yeah. but I'm taking something away from someone who has a quote valid reason to check that box. And so there's just this, you know, two pronged hesitancy where I, I feel like I don't have a right to click it. And then I'm worried, oh, am I going to potentially and this is the, I think, more chronic um situation as far as looking at our culture, especially our corporate culture, um, looking at a bit of a t- toxicity that I've seen yeah. through my career, yeah. where I'm like, oh, God, if I reveal that I have that, they're, they're going to overlook my resume for the next person's.
1: Yes. Um, all of those so are valid, really valid things, here. Paige. Yeah. I mean, we hear that all the time. And there is, you know, I we always encourage our candidates to disclose for so many reasons. And Oftentimes, especially when you're talking about someone with autoimmune conditions, where you may not need accommodations now, that doesn't mean you may not in the future. As you know, autoimmune, they don't like to just stick with just one. They like to collect over time, as you and I both have done over the years. And so you might need accommodations in the future. So if you're completely coming at them from where you haven't had a history before in your file saying that this is the condition that I have, it can be a little blindside to the team and the HR team in order to properly react fast to getting those accommodations that makes complete sense. I
0: actually never never yes. thought about that yes
1: if you were coming into it and you're saying yeah I've had this for 10 years and they're like oh but now my condition has gotten worse and I need in order to have these accommodations and they're like well why didn't you tell me about this when you were hired 10 years ago right you know that just helps them prepare accordingly and so the process the engagement process and the interactive process is what it's called when you're talking about accommodations can move faster because you've already disclosed that. And that's why we do like to encourage them. But I would say, too, that, that you're not the first person I've heard who said to me, I have, you know, I have, I'm going to make this up, I have... Um, you know, I have lupus or whatnot, but I'm fine right now. I'm managing it. My symptoms are not managing it on any accommodations. I feel bad for someone who has a, a particular disability that requires more accommodations or more support. So I'm not going to mark that box. I, You're not the first person that I've heard that. But what I like to say is that everybody's disability is unique. And I, I other thing I always like to say is if you met one person with a disability, then you met one person with a disability. And we all have various ways. I mean, I look at it with my condition alone. There are some of us out there running marathons, and then there's some of us who can't get out of bed every day. So that doesn't change the way in which your condition and what you are living with and your disability, it doesn't take away from that other person. So you feel what you need to do and what is right. And that's why some of our, our candidates don't mark that box. And they don't disclose. But they do know that if they're working with us as a disability recruitment firm, you're already in that box, right? <laughs> but when yeah. it comes to accommodations, that though, that's a whole other story. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly.
0: No, that, that's excellent to hear. And definitely food for thought for me. So I just want to be honest. Like I said, I, I part of the reason I, I started this podcast was for people to resonate. And I know I'm not the only person that goes no. through that.
1: Um, and also two pages that you moment. don't ever have to share either. You are not bound by law to share. You don't ever have to tell that. And you can tell it, you know, like I mentioned, you can come back later after you've been hired with a company and be like, oh, by the way, so this is what I have and this is what I need. That is perfectly fine. But the process goes a little bit smoother and faster if it's if it's released from the very beginning.
0: Got it. So one thing you said I would really love to touch on. You had said there's some people with your condition to Addison's that run marathons and some that can't get out of bed every day. I'd just love to expand upon that a bit because I know as someone who was very is very career oriented, success driven, um, I say recovering perfectionist. I'd love to say I'm over it, but it's, it's going to be a lifelong <laughs> journey. It's very difficult, or used to be a lot more difficult. I'm, I'm much better now. You see people with the same condition you have, or you see people that are addressing their chronic illness, even if it's not autoimmune, or even if it's not as serious, addressing their chronic issues with these, I use the tag hashtag wellness, because I think there's a lot of wonderful things in the wellness space. I also think there's some toxic things in the wellness space. Um, You see these people that are just killing it, like they just quote, adjust their diet. And they take a certain supplement, and they practice a certain type of meditation, and they're killing it. And we with social media have such easy access to see these people. And you're seeing someone's highlight reel, right? Most people out there are not giving you the full (laughs) picture of their day to day life. You're seeing the good stuff. Um, I think it's getting better. There's a little bit more movement in that direction. Um, but it's certainly not something that's that's going to happen overnight. Um, and it might not ever fully happen. So knowing that... I'm trying to rephrase what I'm saying. So being someone that wants to do it the best or that wants to just like crush it and figure out a way to handle um, your symptoms and be able to run those marathons. Let's be clear before I even got diagnosed, I was not going to run a marathon. I'm just not a runner. Absolutely. So absolutely. <laughs> you see these people that are just doing physical things that you feel like I should be able to do. Um, so I was a swimmer growing up. I don't think I could do a lot of the stuff I used to be able to time wise or just endurance wise in swimming. And if I saw someone with my condition years ago, um, when I was still very much in the thick throes of perfectionism, I would be really hard on myself because we have the same condition. Why can't I do that? And they can. And so I would push myself way past what was good for me. And I think a really huge lesson to learn, especially in the autoimmune space, chronic illness space is that what works for you is going to be different and unique from what works for someone else and learning how to not get down on yourself because you're not that person that can run a marathon. And so I'd love for you, um, if if you're open to it, just share how that was a journey for you to kind of see others and be like, why can't I do that? And then learning, like you said, you have very, you, you know what works for you now. And a little bit about the trial and error that got you there, like knowing you have to block time if you need to rest and recover, knowing that there's certain things that are limitations that we have to accept regardless of whether that might be frustrating or might trigger some of our tendencies.
1: Absolutely. Well, goodness gracious. That's, you know, I joke, it comes with age, but it comes with trial and error to your point. You know, there's a thing called imposter syndrome and there's a lot of that out there where you see these other people to your point, killing it. And you're like, wow, how are they doing that? How are they managing it? And then a part of me is like, I don't have the energy to even consider like, putting a toe into that water. Um, you know, I do a talk for my speaking engagements called Grief. And you have to grieve your old life, which is means before diagnosis, so you can accept what your life is now. And it is a hard process. It is not something that people can just oftentimes just let it go easily especially if you had a particular life where you were so active you had so much energy you were doing all of those things and your dreams were being fulfilled and then you're bam you get sidelined with what's happening and trying to discover what this new life is going to be and you do have to take the time to grieve I always encourage people especially after diagnosis with Addison's to speak with healthcare professionals, mental health professionals, and work through that because you are going to have limitations. You are going to have opportunities where you're not going to be able to do what you did before. And you have to wrap your brain around that and you have to walk through that process. And it did take me some time. You know, do I like being viewed by my children as someone whom is sick? No, I I never would wish that upon them. Do I have... To have those conversations with them about okay, you guys like for instance, we went to Disney World, and you know, being able to navigate that, I can't go to Orlando in July, August, and do that because dehydration is one of the things that will wind me up in the hospital. So I have to go in the winter time, right? So being able to—that's just a really random example—but just managing those expectations of what that looks like for me and understanding that the life that I had before is very different and how to express that without getting wrapped up in comparison over and over again. But just knowing that the value and and what you bring now and what that looks like and finding your new life and embracing it. And I know it's a word that's overused sometimes, but finding your joy and finding what that looks like in this new world. And for me, like I mentioned It really is my newfound passion of helping others and people with disabilities and knowing that they're worth of being employed and and they have value to bring. And it may not be where you can work the 40 hours a week, but you still have that much opportunity to share and your worth is there, even if you're working 20 hours a week, because that's where your health mandates. And so that's so important for people to find out their new normal and their new way to navigate. And it is trial and error. It really is. But you got to keep plugging along and not give up.
0: Oh, I think that's very motivating. And like I was saying earlier, I love to try to put some messages out there that are helpful and insightful because there's so much out there that ev- there has to be a place to vent and unload and talk. Absolutely. But we have our conditions and it's it's our reality. And being able to, in many cases, especially your case, I know it's an overused phrase, but like make your mess your message. Like it really does create this passion yes. around sharing your story and putting it out there. And one thing I will say that comes from being someone who you cannot tell by looking at me that I have anything wrong with me, I feel this extra compulsion, honestly. I mean, that sounds like a really negative term, psychologically speaking, but I feel this intense drive to. <laughs> spread this message and create advocacy and awareness because I have the ability to do that. And I might have more bandwidth and physical ability to do that than a lot of people who are suffering from similar issues. So it's something that I feel very passionate about and it's so nice to connect with other people in that space. Um, So i So excited that you were on today. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. What I would like to give you an opportunity to do, if anyone's listening to this and they have a company that, that would love to get some training, or it's someone that really wants to get out into the workforce and they've struggled because they do deal with some disabilities, how can they get in touch with you or work with you?
1: So allabilityrecruiting.com is the website and you can shoot me a message through there or LinkedIn is a great, great tool. I have found that there are so many of us out there that – really resonate with when I talk about disability. I post a lot talking about disability employment and why it matters. And so you can find me under Anessa Powell on LinkedIn and just keep and follow along too, because if, if you're someone that's like, I'm in the workforce and I resonate with this message, I have X, Y, Z, and, um, I want to start conveying that within my company. That is huge. And would love to help you guys do that and help that process because, it's, you know, if you don't have an ERG group that has one that's dedicated to those with disabilities or even caregivers don't want to leave them out. That's a huge piece to it as well. Um, you know, I, we can help form those. We do that with All Ability Recruiting. We help start those and, and get those going because it is vital to start those messages within your organization.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you again for being on here today. I feel that your message and your experience will really resonate with the listeners.
1: Well, Paige, I could talk all day about it, but thank you. (laughs) It's my absolute pleasure.
0: (laughs) I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Invisibly Unwell. If you like the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you followed it. And if you left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever it is that you're listening. This allows me to keep the show going and to continue to bring on incredible guests to share their stories.